open up the Bible together, and we will um, hear from Pastor Paul as he unpacks this passage for us today. We are in 1 Timothy. I think we have a few weeks left in this book. Today's a long passage. Chapter 5, I'm going to read all of it, and then the first few verses of chapter 6 as well. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, all throughout. I'll be reading from the ESV version. And just a reminder that as I read this, as we read this together, this is the Word of God. Chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who was truly a widow left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulged is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going, from, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may stand in fee. They, 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 so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sin of others. Keep yourselves pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Verse 24, the sins of, your, of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are, that are not cannot remain hidden. I'm going to read chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have, been, have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Amen. 
Alrighty, thank you, Peter. Uh, as you notice, there's a long uh, chunk of verses, and so we may not be able to cover every single verse today. Um, but yeah, firstly, welcome. Uh, good to see everyone here today, especially those who are new. It's your first time, or maybe you, ha- you haven't been here for a while. Uh, it's good to see you come back as well. As Peter said, we've been going through the book of First Timothy. Uh, we're kind of, I think, hitting the end of First Timothy, and today we're looking at chapter 5. The title of today's uh, sermon is Honor Each Other. Now, as I begin, let me ask you a question. When you step through those doors into this church, would you say that people treat you differently in here than they would treat you out there? Do you feel like the relationships you have here are more loving or kind, that you receive more respect, that you're treated better, or would you say the opposite? You know, the Bible makes quite clear that these relationships that we have in the church are very important, right? Jesus himself says in John chapter 13, that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another. There is a special love in the relationships we find in the church that you really shouldn't be able to find anywhere else. And as we come to today's passage, we're going to see what this love looks like, you know, in the uh, topic of honoring each other. And so first point, let me just jump right into it. Honor each other. Paul says in verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, Paul begins in these first two uh, verses making kind of sweeping, generalized statements about how the church is to relate with each other. And you might have noticed, but here in verse 1 to 2, Paul basically covers everyone. Right? He says four categories. The older man, right? the older woman, the younger man, and the younger woman. That's everyone. Right? Everyone in this church is either an older man or woman to you, or a younger man or woman to you. Right? Even if you're a twin, right? technically one's older or younger. And Paul's basically saying this is how the church should relate to itself. The church is to honor each other. And I think it's also worth noting that Paul expected that these different ages were relating with each other in the church. And I think that's beautiful. That in the church, Paul expected that there were going to be people older than you. And you're not going to avoid them, right? Only go to the people your age. And not speak to the younger ones because they're punks, right? And avoid them and go to, you know, it wasn't that the university students were over here and the, the married people, you know, they sat in this corner. But there's this interaction that was happening all the time in the church. And I love that, that Paul expected that from the church. And I think it's important that as this church continues to gather, and as we have a diversity of ages, that we continue to break down maybe the, the walls that may exist between age groups, and that we might be able to speak and interact and learn from each other. And one great thing that I'm, I'm really happy about Kingsway in our season right now is that we get to see that. That we get to see this interaction between those who may be studying at university and between those who are empty nesters. And the children have moved out of home. I love that in some of our growth groups, we have that right now. And hopefully, that's, that's, that's a benefit. Right? The older ones of us, we get to look at the, the younger ones' passion. Right? And we're encouraged. And we're, we're reminded of what, what it used to be like when we were so passionate for God. 
And maybe the younger ones, you look up to the, the wiser, I'll say wiser, and you're like, yes, that's what it is like to be married. Let me learn a few things. Or this is what it's like to raise children. Another thing you want to point, I want to point out is that the way that this church, across the ages, is meant to treat each other is we're meant to treat each other like family. Paul says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Give the older person the respect and honor that you would give to your father, someone who is of your biological relationship. And neither, when you treat people who are younger, you should not lord it over them, but he says you should treat them as brothers. And so what Paul is saying here is is that the older man treat them like a father, older woman treat them like a mother, and the younger brother, the man or woman, you treat them as brother or sister. Right? This, is, this is family language here. Father, mother, sister, brother. And maybe for some of us who've grown up in the church, we're, we're used to this. Right? We're a faith family. Oh, you're a brother in Christ. You're a sister in Christ. But when you pause and think about what it's saying, it's quite shocking. Right? Maybe if this is the first time you've come to church, the fact that you're meant to treat people in this, this room as a brother, like they're your own brother. Treat people as if they're your own mother. That's quite a shocking statement. That is what the Bible calls us to do. The way we treat each other and interact with each other is like we are family. We don't treat each other as distant strangers or you know, people who are a nuisance. But regardless of whether they're above or below me in the age categories, I treat them as if they are the closest people in my life. And that is the way the church is meant to relate with itself. Imagine with me, this church, across all of our life stages, that we were able to honor each other. Not that we don't, but if we really did that, and people stepped into this room, and they felt that immediately that they were honored in a way that they did not receive in the world. That maybe outside of these walls that people might look down on them, or people might push them around for whatever reason, but here in the church, that they were honored and respected, that they were loved in this kind of way what would it look like for you to treat some of the older people like you treat your father what would it look like for you to treat some of your friends or peers here like a brother or sister this is the generalized sweeping statement paul begins with as we begin the church across all of its different ages and life stages we are to treat each other with honor just like family And then as Paul goes on, he's now going to specify two particular groups in the church and say, this is how we honor these particular groups. And the first group are the widows. Honor widows. Now, widows back in the Old Testament times and even in the New Testament times were one of the most neglected and helpless, overlooked people in society. It was... um, For a woman, when they were married, uh, so much of their reputation and their livelihood came from being married to their husband. That if a woman lost her husband, it became very difficult for her to take care of herself financially. It's difficult for her to get a job. Back then, a lot of the jobs were um, laborious and and hard work on your body. And her reputation would have uh, possibly taken quite a big hit by not having a husband. She might have been excluded from a lot of things as well. And so in society, 
the widows might have been the least visible and most overlooked group of people. They didn't have governmental support back then like we do today in Sydney. There wasn't insurance where you know, they might get a lot of money once their husband passes away. They were often neglected. And so it's not surprising that our God, our God who, who cares for those on the fringe, but he cares for those who no one seems to care about, cares for the neglected and the voiceless, would show particular compassion for the widows. And we see that throughout the Bible. Right? The gospel, when you think about the gospel, it goes to all people, even to those who are right on the fringe. And so in Exodus 22, we see that God himself commands, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Right? There's orphans here. Often they come together. Um, in, in the Bible, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. It's as if God's got a special ear attentive to the heart and the cry of the widow and the orphan in the world. Right? God really has compassion and care for widows. And in Psalm 68.5, it describes God as the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. Right? God cares for those who society tends to overlook. And so it's not not a surprise that when we come to the New Testament, that because this is who God is and God cares for widows, that the early church also would care for widows. If you look at uh, Acts chapter 6, the early church, uh, in in Acts chapter 6, what happens is that we see that the early church is already, right, even from the beginning, taking care of widows. And there is a daily distribution that is going out to care for the widows. Now, they must have been doing such a great job, and there must have been so many widows that they were taken care of, that in this passage, that some were being neglected, right? That's what's happening. Some were being missed out, because there were so many widows that they were taking care of, right? But I just want to make the point that they were already, at that time, caring for the widows. And James, in his epistle, right, James, the brother of Jesus, he says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. God cares for the widow. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, honoring widows, what does that have to do with me? Are you thinking that? It's okay, it's okay if you are. But if that's what you're thinking, then maybe you, out of all people, need to hear this, this text. Because God has a heart toward the widows, And because it matters to God, it matters to the church. And because it matters to the church, it should matter to you. And it should matter to me. Just as God has compassion for the widows, the least visible in the congregation, you and I also should have compassion for them as well. And so Paul begins in verse 3. He says, after talking about the church, he says, honor widows who are truly widows. And this word honor is not just in context, it's not just about respecting them, right? It includes that and treating them well, uh, but it also implies a financial support, right? The church should financially support the widows of the church. Now, there was a problem that arose in the church, and we kind of see this in Acts chapter 6. The church, on the one hand, was doing such a great job of taking care of the widows, but then there was such a big demand for a lot of widows who, who, who needed care. And some of these widows were wanting 
not to learn about Jesus or to follow him and to be a part of the church community, but they just wanted money. Right? They just wanted support. Right? And there's always like people when, when you hear free, we're like, ooh, like me. Right? And, you know, I, th- I think I'm like that in my heart. Right? If something's free, you, you want it. And so you can imagine that as a church is you know, in Acts chapter 2, selling their possessions and distributing it to those who are in need, that, and the widows are being taken care of, that people are hearing about it. And that's a good thing if they hear about it and say, wow, that's amazing. Why do they love each other like that? I'm curious. That's great. But other people were hearing about it and thinking, ooh, free, free support. I'm just going to rock up and pretend like I'm on board and we'll tick all the boxes and say the right things just so I can get some money. And so in that context, Paul wants the church to be able to take care of the widows that they really should be taking care of. And in order to do that, he sets some qualifiers and says, these are the widows that the church will financially support. Now, we're going to honor and take care of everyone, even the widows out of the church. We've got compassion for them, but when it comes to financial support, these are the widows we're going to take care of. And there are three qualifiers he gives. Number one, he says, they should have no children. In verse four, Paul says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, that's the children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. The Bible says that the widow's children or the widow's grandchildren are the first point of provision for the widow. It's first and foremost their responsibility in the biological family to take care of the widow. And that's what Paul says. And so if you've got family, the family should take care of the widow. And Paul gives a few reasons. One, he says, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. Right? If having compassion and caring for the widows is godly, and we want to do that as a church, well, first, you should do that in your family. Right? And so if you want that to be what the church is about, but you've got a widow in your own family right, or your relative, you should take care of them. Number two, he says, to make some return to their parents. Paul is saying it's right that a child returns to their parents. Now, if you're a part of the Asian culture, it's kind of embedded into us that, you know, like, like maybe drilled into you. Um, but I, I think sometimes that can be in bad. It can be guilt-driven and burdensome. Um, but the, the Christian is expected to, out of joy, return to their parents. Right? Give back because they've given so much to us. And note how it says some return. Make some return. And I think it's implying that no matter how much you give to your parents or to your widowed mother, you will never pay back how much they've given to you. All of it will, at the end of the day, only be some return. He also says, because this is pleasing in the sight of God. Caring for your widowed mother is pleasing to God. Again, God is compassionate. He cares for those who are often not cared for. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother. And so take care of your mother, especially if she's widowed. And number four, in verse 16, Paul says, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her take care for them. And so he kind of expands it. If you're a woman and you know other women who are widows, take care of them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Right? By the biological family taking care of itself within itself, it frees up the church to then care for those who have no care. 
right? And so the biological family is taking that care of this widow and that widow. But, so, but there, there are widows who had no one, no family to care for them. And they're the ones that the church should be focusing on. And so the summary is that the ex- expectation is that the biological family takes the primary responsibility for widows. And it's not that the church doesn't support but the family really shouldn't expect the church to do what it should be doing itself. Right? Don't expect your church to support your widowed mother when that is, a, I guess, a responsibility that you should burden yourself. And Paul feels really strongly about this. In verse 8, he makes this statement. And this is, he makes it very general. I want you to listen to this. If anyone does not provide for his relatives. And so again, he's broadened this to include any, any relative, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? If you don't take care of the people, your biological family, even your, your relatives, who may be cousins or aunties, he's saying that if you don't take care of them, you've denied the faith. You're not a Christian, he's saying such a strong statement. Isn't that shocking to you? Oh, it's okay. You know, that take, no, no you've, you're not a Christian, he's saying. That's so strong. And you're worse than an unbeliever. Even the pagan Romans would take care of the people in their family and support them financially and emotionally and relationally. And Christians should do better. You should not do worse. So first, the widows that the church takes care of should have no children. They should take care of them. And you know, I don't think this is a hard line. I mean, if they have children who have kind of turned their backs on them and they have no one to take care of them, then in that circumstance, the church can step in, obviously. But also, secondly, Paul says they should be Christian. The widow should be a Christian. Verse 5, he says, She who is truly a widow, left alone, has set her hope on God and continues supplications and prayers night and day. Now in verse 5 to 7, and then later in verse 9 to 10, Paul really lists, like, there's a whole list of uh, qualifications of godliness that he gives, of what really a Christian should look like. And so this widow hopes in God, verse 5, is a prayer warrior, right? She continues in supplications and prayers. In verse 9, faithful to one husband. Verse 10, have a good reputation, is hospitable, right? They wash the feet of the saints. That's an act of hospitality back then. They are compassionate, they care for the afflicted, and they're devoted to every good work. And I don't think this list is like a hard list where you have to go down and tick every box. I think what Paul is really saying is that he wants to ensure that the widows that are being taken care of are truly Christian. And these are the fruits that you might expect from a Christian widow. Again, you can imagine as a church is financially supporting widows that there are a lot of people rocking up to the church, maybe pretending to you know, be Christian to receive the money. And again, if they're interested in the love and the values that we have and it draws them to Jesus Christ, that's amazing and that's great. But if their heart is in the wrong place, if all they want is to get money so that they can spend it on wasteful things, then they're not the ones that the church should prioritize. Paul actually says that there are widows who are self-indulgent, and he rebukes them. And that word means that they seek pleasure, worldly pleasure. There must have been people in the church who were trying to get the money so they could just spend it on worldly things, rather than receive the money to take, 
to survive and then commit themselves to God in prayer and in hospitality and in all these things that is listed. And so the church exists to have compassion and care for all people and all widows. But when it comes to financial support, it's okay that we focus and prioritize the believers first. Galatians 6.10, it says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We're doing good to everyone, but especially to the believers. The church's priority is always to care first for the believers. Not that we don't care for others, but the love and the care we have for each other is most important. And number three, that they should be over 60. There's a very specific number here. Um, But Paul says in verse nine, let a widow be enrolled. That is, they're put on the list of those who are supported. If she is not less than 60 years of age, and then verse 11, he says, refuse to enroll younger widows. And so number one, they've got no family. Number two, they're actually Christian. Number three, they're over 60. These are the qualifications uh, Paul gives for financial support for widows. And the question is, why not the younger widows? That's a little unfair, maybe. And he gives two reasons. And the first is because of their passions. He says their, their passions will draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. This verse is like, what's going on? A little confusing. Is marriage bad? And you should, widows not remarry. And later on, he says widows should marry. And so, you know, what's going on here? Now, there's a few uh, kind of interpretations of what's going on. The most common one is this. The word faith can refer to like my belief in Jesus and when he says they've abandoned their former faith, it could mean they've left the church, but the word faith also means promise or oath. And the understanding is that these women, it says that they're enrolled. The word enrolled is the same word when someone would uh, enroll themselves to the army, right? They're signed up to serve maybe the nation in the army. And the understanding is that these widows who are enrolled are committing themselves and making a promise to remain as widows. To remain as widows, and as they receive the support from the church, that perhaps as they remain widows and have maybe more free time, that they would pray for the church, that they'll be hospitable, that they would serve, and all the things that are listed here before, that they would do for the church. And that might have been an official thing, or that might be an unofficial thing, but they're committing, I will remain a widow, receive the support, and I'm going to commit myself to serve God and this church. And what Paul is saying, the younger widows, well, they have passions. And they desire to marry. And that's a good thing, right? Marriage is good. But the problem arises when they've already committed to remain widows. And now they want to marry. And as they get married, they break that former promise that they've made to the church and to God that they will remain widows. And the Bible talks a lot about how we should keep our promises. And so Paul is saying, rather than supporting these young widows with money and putting them into that kind of awkward situation, verse 14, I would have younger widows marry. They should marry. Encourage them to marry and bear children and manage their households. Does that kind of make sense? Rather than signing them up and putting them on a list and making a promise that they might break, encourage them to be married. It's a good thing. Remarry, have children, and manage your household. Paul also says this, 
that supporting these women can be unhelpful. Verse 13, because it will make them idlers. And they'll go about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. As you support these younger widows, suddenly they have a lot of time on their hands and maybe they might use it for good, but maybe out of like an immaturity perhaps, they can also use it for bad. And with the free time, they're idlers, he says, they might become gossipers and busybodies. Now Paul's not targeting women here because in 2 Thessalonians, he says the same thing just about the church or brothers. He says, keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness. And verse 11, he says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. I like that play on words. Rather than being busy at work, you have so much free time, you become a busy body. And that's what Paul's saying here. If we support widows too early, when they're too young, and they're no longer busy at work, right, to, to sustain themselves or maybe to live life or to meet people and get remarried and then to raise a family in that freedom we might actually do more harm than good right giving money to someone is not always the best thing for them especially if it enables bad traits idleness can lead to sinfulness and so we want to avoid that and in order to avoid that paul says only support widows who are over 60 years old. To honor a younger widow looks different. Honoring older widows, support them financially. Honoring younger women, encourage them to remarry. And they may not want to. They may be doubtful. They may not be, um, I guess, courageous enough or don't have the motivation, but encourage them. If they want to, it's a good thing. And that they would bear children. They'll take care of their household. And so in summary, the church cares for all widows, but when it comes to financial support, these are the qualifications the Bible gives. They have no children, or else the family should take care of itself. They should be Christian, and they should be over 60. And again, this is the heart of God. He cares for those that are often not cared for by society. I was listening to a tech podcast the other day. That's what I do, because I'm a nerd. I mean, one of the hosts was saying how they, uh, there's a feature on the iPhone. <laughs> what a random tangent. Um, there's a feature on the iPhone, you may know, you may not know, where you can increase the font size of your phone so that everything, like no matter what you're doing, everything gets bigger. So you open messages, the font's like this big. Open um, like your web browser, the font's like this big. Like I open, I open my parents' phones, I'm like, well, like, it's like everything, you fit like five words on the screen because the font size is so big. And the, the people were saying, um, they didn't care about this feature. It felt so irrelevant to them until one day it wasn't. Right? One day they woke up and their eyes were starting to get blurry and suddenly this thing that they really didn't care about became so incredibly important to them. Right? And they, it really mattered to them at that point. And I wonder if this topic might feel that way to some of us. It feels so irrelevant to us. And it might be until one day, it won't be. Now one day, maybe in your own life, you will have widows in your family, or maybe you already do. Maybe one day, you know, as our church grows and gets older, we will have more and more widows in the church. And at that point, the question is, how do we care for widows? And it will really be important, and we'll be so thankful that the scriptures 
tell us and guide us on that very important topic. Now, for you, on the topic of widows, we're going to go into one more. I'd say pray for your heart. Again, this is God's heart. God's heart is for the widow. His God's heart is for the orphan. And, you know, for me, I'll be honest, and as I read this, I, I have those thoughts. Is, does this matter to me? Is this relevant to me? And it always should be, even if there aren't any widows in this church, because this is relevant to God. God's heart is here. Right? It's, it's a display of the compassion and care that God has right, for those on the fringe, whether they're widows, whether they're orphans, or whether, as we just heard, in the shoebox, an Operation Christmas Child, caring for people that often the world would overlook. Those who are in need, do I care and have that compassionate heart for people? And so pray for your heart, but also pray for our church, that when the need arises, like the early church in Acts chapter 6, that we would do a great job in supporting widows, that there would be a lot of widows that this church is supporting and that we might do it well and wisely. And I find it so interesting that Paul's command for the church, the whole church, to honor each other is only two verses. That's all it took. For him to say, come on, guys, everyone, honor each other, older, younger, that took two verses. But for him to unpack what it looks like to support widows, that took 14 verses. And I think it shows how complex and how much wisdom is required when it comes to caring for specific groups of people and when money gets involved. And so pray for your church and pray for your leaders that we might have that kind of wisdom to navigate what can often be quite difficult. You know, oftentimes we think decisions are simple in the church. They're rarely simple. Right? Simple decisions, like there's so many factors that often come into play. I'm not sitting there. And, like, there's so much stuff. And when it comes to money, it's so complicated. You've got to be so careful. And I think we see that here. And so pray for your church that we at Kingsway We'll do a good job at this. And so honor everyone, honor widows, and number three, honor pastors. All right, I'm going to spend two hours on this point. Now I'm just joking. All right, verse 17. Paul says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about the topic of elders. And back then, I said that I believe biblically that the office of an elder and the office of an overseer and the office of a pastor or shepherd, they're not different groups or different categories. It's one office. It's one group. And so an elder is a pastor, and a pastor is a type of elder, and they're all kind of the same, doing the same thing. Right, working together, right, they, they function the same. And you can look into the Bible, you can do your own studies, and I gave you reasons why back then. And yet in that group of pastors slash elders slash overseers, there is a group who labor in preaching and teaching. Right? That's what he says, labor in preaching and teaching. And they labor in it because it's their labor, it's their work, but it's also labor because it's laborious, it's a toil. Paul uses this word to describe his ministry. It's hard work. And it's hard work. Can I emphasize that? And these people, Paul says, we should honor in a particular way. Right? These are the paid people, the people we tend to call pastors. Um, and Paul says we should honor these pastors in these three ways. Respect, remuneration, reputation. So let me go through these. Number one, 
respect. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, right? Especially those who labor in it. This is their job. They labor. Give them double honor. Now, the double honor can mean, again, um, some people say double pay. That's all right. No. But I think, I think what it means is a twofold honor. Right? This honor is going to show up in at least two ways. And one of the ways is respect, and the other one is remuneration. Right? Respect. But if you go to First uh, Timothy chapter 6, right, we read this. This is straight after this part about honoring pastors. Um, Paul talks about how bond servants should honor their masters, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, he says here in chapter 6, verse 1 to 2. And in context, this honor is talking about respect. Bond servants should respect their masters. And just because you're fellow Christians doesn't mean you should mistreat them, but because they're Christians, you should serve them in a better way. Now, slavery and all of that, it's a, a can of worms we can't touch today. But all I want to say is that that word honor means respect in that context. And so we're going to bring it here. And the idea is that one of the honors that we should give to the pastors is respect. Respect. Your pastor is such a weird, I feel weird saying this, but it's here in the text. Now, why, why pastors? The widows, we kind of understand because they're the least visible in the church. Pastors are kind of the opposite. They're one of the most, most visible in the church. But I think the reason why out of the whole church, Paul picks widows and then he picks pastors is because perhaps in certain churches, the pastors along with the widows are often those who are dishonored and maybe not treated with respect. You know, pastors are one of the leaders of the church. But unlike the world, we lead in service. The world will have leaders who lead with power and authority and they demand respect from those under them or in their team. But the way that the church works is really flipped upside down. And those who lead, lead in service. Because that's how our Lord Jesus Christ led. He did not lead with power and authority. He humbled himself and he served. He washed his disciples' feet. He went to the cross and he died on the cross for our sins. That's what leadership looked like in Jesus Christ. And so as followers of Jesus, we lead in service. We serve, we give, we sacrifice, we listen, we help. It's giving. And so I think it's possible for that to then be exploited. And for the congregation to expect that from their leaders, to demand service from their leaders and not be grateful as they help them and serve them and give to them. It's your job to wash my feet or whatever, not that we physically do that. But it's your job, so you should do these things. You should serve me, you should serve the church, you should sacrifice. And I think the way the church is meant to work is really upside down. The leaders humble and serve and give, but then the church doesn't abuse it, but the church freely gives these leaders respect. And they don't demand it. They can never demand it. They will always give, and hopefully they'll never complain, but the church freely gives them respect in response. And that's a flipping upside down of the the, the structure or the way that it works in the world. And so the first thing is respect. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you 
and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Right, so respect. Respect your pastors. Number two, remuneration. The other part of the double honor, one was respect, one is remuneration, and I'm gonna add a third in here. But remuneration. When it came to honoring widows, again, I said that was not just about how we speak to them and relate with them, that honor included the financial support. And here, this honor, this, the second part of the honor is the financial support. It's the pay. Honor is where we get the word honorarium from. I don't know if you've heard that term. When guest speakers come, we give them an honorarium. That's the gift we give them. That's us honoring them. And so Paul is saying we should honor those who labor in preaching and teaching, like myself, with financial support. And this is a bit awkward. Okay, so we're already awkward until now. But I'm just going gonna, gonna to say what I've, I see. If Peter was meant to preach this, this passage, and I was like, maybe I should do, I'll do this one. Uh, maybe less awkward. Um, but Paul goes to two passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New, to uh, support his argument. He goes to Deuteronomy 25, verse 4 here, in verse 18. He says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And what does he mean there? Not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. He actually quotes this same Old Testament passage in 1 Corinthians 9, and there he unpacks it. He says, this passage was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. And so he's got this, this image of a farmer, and as they you know, plant seeds, and as they do farmer stuff, that their hope is that as they plant seeds, they want, they're going to receive from the very crop that they're planting. And Paul's saying, as the, the, the pastors plant seeds into the church, they should also expect to receive, right? If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Right, and that's really interesting. He says, even more, more than other people because of the value we give to God and the kingdom and the word of God that maybe pastors should be honored even more, he says. Right? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Right? And so that's that passage. And then Paul quotes Jesus in that next verse, and this is from Luke 10, 7, Paul says, the laborer deserves his wages. I heard this quote about paying pastors, uh, Lord, you keep him humble, and we will keep him poor. I think in certain circles, not, not ours, there, there is an expectation that pastors should be poor. Like, it's like, they, they have to be poor, and for whatever reason, it's like, um, that that's what it comes with. But I don't know, I don't think that's biblical and I don't think that's honoring. This text doesn't give specifics. It doesn't give us numbers, right? This, this is wisdom here. But this passage is about honoring pastors and paying them too little goes against the idea of honoring and the heart of 1 Corinthians chapter nine. I once heard a pastor say this and obviously he was biased, but he said, pay your pastors well enough that they can model generosity to the church, right? And I think paying pastors too little can actually distract them from the task at hand, which is the labor in preaching and teaching, right? You pay them too little, then they're worried about money, which they shouldn't be. On the flip side, of course, you can pay a pastor 
too much. And that is not helpful for them. And that is not helpful for the church. And so it's like this middle that takes a lot of wisdom. If a church doesn't follow a benchmark, people tend to just find the average median of the church and set the pastor's wages there. And some people say that's fair. But the great thing about Kingsway and the way we've orchestrated it is that it's not our decision. And I don't think it should be, ever be our decision. There's too much conflict of interest. We have an interim council that makes that decision. And in the future, we will have elders who make that decision. right? And so we will entrust it to them. But it is in the scripture. And so it is up to the pastor to talk about it and preach about it like today. And so remuneration. I don't know if you've ever felt like, oh, why do pastors get paid from the church? It's passages like this. Right? This is why we think pastors deserve to be honored by the church in this way. Right? Number three, reputation. We honor them with respect, remuneration, but then we also re- protect their reputation. And Paul says in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, all leaders of any organization will get a lot of criticism, get a lot of people pointing fingers, maybe a lot of talk about them, gossip and rumors, and pastors are no different. I'm going to include elders here as well, elders of the church. Being public leaders, oftentimes elders and pastors can be the recipients of false accusations, gossip and rumors. And so Paul's saying in order to honor your pastors and protect them, you will only take a charge when there are two or three witnesses. And so if one person says to someone, oh, the pastor, this or that, and it's just them by themselves, you'll say, I want you to back that up with someone else, at least two or three, right? So that we, we can really verify what you're saying is true. And I think this is really important, especially today in today's society where um, like an accusation is like they're already guilty, like a a cancel culture where if someone's accused of something, it's as if they're already guilty of it. Guilty until proven innocent, it feels like. And oftentimes this can be the downfall of anyone who's in the public public space. Um, And in order to protect that, Paul says, we want two or three witnesses. Now Paul goes on in verse 20 and so on to talk about what do you do if they sin and how we should be careful to elect elders. But again, we don't have too much time for that. Um, But just quickly, Paul does use this as an opportunity to say, if an elder persists in sin, that if there are two or three witnesses and the accusation is proven true, but they are unrepentant, they keep denying it and they won't refuse to say sorry, then you will rebuke them and you will do that publicly in front of the church. You'll do that for the sake of the congregation, for transparency. The congregation will not follow in the same footsteps out of fear, but also in the hope that as that pastor is publicly um, rebuked, that in the future, that will cause them to come back. Because they're obviously not returning to Christ at this moment, but if you do it publicly, and the gravity of sin falls on their shoulders and hearts, maybe they will one day return. And that's always the goal. The goal is always repentance, which is why Paul says, if they don't repent. If a pastor repents of their sin, you forgive them and immediately try to restore them into the fellowship of the church. That's always with anyone, no matter what sin you've committed, because of Christ Jesus, if you repent, you are forgiven. And we don't hold that against you, and then we restore you into the fellowship. Now, you might restore that pastor back into their position of leadership, depending on the sin, but again, that takes wisdom. But if they don't repent, right, Paul says, verse 20. All right, I said a lot of stuff, but honor your pastors, he says, with respect, remuneration, 
and reputation. Uh, I, maybe a few years ago, someone sent me a link, and I think it was, you know, top 10 most stressful jobs in the world. And I'm sure there are, you find your job in, in one of these lists. I'm, I don't know how accurate this one was. But I remember reading through it, and I think pastor was like right up there. And I remember reading it thinking, I don't disagree. It can be hard. Paul describes this as toil, hard work. Uh, it's a labor. Um, sometimes people say, what do you do all week? Like, I'm like, oh, you have so much time. And I think, what do I do all week? I, I, don't, I don't, it's so much stuff. I feel like I do so much stuff, but it's hard. It feels hard. And so I think it's, it's, it's nice when a church, and we're not going to talk about this all the time. I've never talked about this. I just found it in the Bible today, so I'm talking about it. But it's nice. When the leaders of a church willingly serve the church and don't complain, but when the church, in reciprocation, willingly respects and honors the church in these kinds of ways. Let me close. Honor each other. The whole church across all ages are meant to honor each other like a family. This is to all of us. The way we relate to each other in this church and these walls should be different from the way that People are related to outside there. The honor we give should be different. Right? And this is important to the way we use our words and our jokes. It should be different the way that we honor each other. Like family. Specifically, honor widows. Now, we honor all widows, but when it comes financially, the widow should have no children, be Christian, and over 60. And I really want to pr- ask you to pray for your heart about that. Because it might feel unrelated, but this is God's heart. Pray for your church, and then also honor your pastors. I think as we honor those who are least visible in the church, all the way up to those who are most visible, the pastors, maybe we will cover everyone in the process. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Uh, we're just going to pray for a little moment. Now, this, this passage was kind of so specific to the church. And I know there are some new people here. It might feel very irrelevant for you. Um, But maybe you can pray for your own heart today. Again, this is the compassionate heart of God being worked out in His people. We live in a self-centered, dog-eat-dog world, Survival of the fittest, it feels like. But only those who are the best um, get taken care of. The heart of God is for those who are often overlooked. For those who are neglected, pushed to the side by society. He hears the cries of the voiceless. And it's as if God has a special ear to those who are suffering in those kinds of ways. And the Christian is to embody that kind of heart. We are to care for those the world has overlooked. And would you pray for your own heart that you would have that kind of heart? But also pray for this church, that we as a church might honour the widows, the least visible, but also the pastors who may be most visible. Pray for your heart. Pray for the way you relate to each other. Pray for your care for the widows. 
and pray for this church. Let's spend a bit of time praying for these things and then we'll sing a song. Let's pray.